Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. I have to say, I am genuinely thrilled to be able to say that Major League Baseball's back and we're going to play 162 games. Um, I do want to start by apologizing to our fans. I know that the last few months have been difficult. There's a lot of uncertainty um, at a point in time when there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. Um, sort of the way the process of collective bargaining works sometimes, but I, I, I do apologize for it. Um, one of the good things about collective bargaining is that it gives our players an opportunity uh, to have input on what their workplace and the game is going to look like going forward. And they took full opportunity um, to provide that input during these negotiations. Um, Our players are great, great athletes. Um, I respect them, and I respect the input that we received from them during this process, and we really did learn a lot. One of the things that I'm supposed to do is um, promote a good relationship with our players. Um, I've tried to do that. Um, I think that uh, I have not been successful in that. Um, I think that it begins with small steps. It's why I picked the phone up um, after the ratification and called Tony and expressed my desire to work with him. Um, and, you know, it's going to be a priority of mine moving forward to, to, to try to make good on the commitment that I made to him on the phone. I, I believe um, that in sports – uh, a off-season lockout is the most effective way um, to get to an agreement without losing games if you can't make an agreement before expiration. Um, my strong preference is always to make an agreement before expiration. wasn't possible here. Um, once it, 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 that it became clear we couldn't make an agreement with, prior to expiration, um, I do believe that the lockout helped move the process along. 
Um, and, you know, if we had just slid into the season, started the season without the lockout, I don't think we'd have an agreement today. The MLBPA, historically, um, <clears throat> has wanted a market-based system. Um, over, you know, multiple negotiations. That's been a primary objectives, uh, objective of theirs. Markets produce market results. And um, I, I think that uh, the changes that were made in, in this agreement moved dramatically in their direction on topics like the CBT threshold. And I think you'll probably see a little different market results as a result of the change. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Friday, March 11th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show it out on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in our good business partners, the Fan Sided Podcasting Network, and check out the good folks over at RisingApple.com. Well, it wasn't quite the 100 Days War. If you're a history buff, you probably could appreciate that little quip, but it was pretty close in terms of baseball, as uh, after nearly 100 days, oh, I would say around 7 o'clock last night, we finally saw labor peace. And there will be a baseball season. The first Thunderbolt, we like to use the term Thunderbolt when there's a crisis around the Mets. This was a crisis around the game. The first Thunderbolt is behind us. And from a Mets fan perspective, well, I'll tell you what. Buck Showalter and Billy Epler have their first uh, challenge in front of them. Buck, by trying to scramble together this spring training, which based on his history, he absolutely, 100% will be able to pull that off. And there's still a month to get ready. And they probably, and I talked to somebody yesterday around the game. He said, the last week everybody's complaining that it's too too long. So I don't really think the spring training situation is is, is too, too bad of, a, of, of an issue. I wonder about the subcommittee and the labor committee guys who were negotiating. Think back to the NBA lockout and how some of those guys got out of shape. Back in 1999, actually, it was one of the reasons why Patrick Ewing probably hurt his Achilles because he was, you know, one of the the leaders of the of the NBA Players Association. So that'll be interesting. I have full confidence that the two guys on the Mets side, Lindor and Scherzer, are athletes and mindsets. There, they're going to keep themselves healthy and in shape. Um, but that's something to take a look at. And then Billy Epler, uh, from what I understand, and I tweeted that out earlier uh, this morning, that. Basically, uh, it's going to be a free agent frenzy. The Supermarket Sweep, our buddy Joe Casal, who consulted the MLBPA, who's been coming on the last couple of weeks and, and really laid out how not only how he, he saw things going, but what the issues were with this uh, collective bargaining agreement. It's going to be Supermarket Sweep. And the way it's been described to me is like, hey, here's my offer. I got to move on. Here's my offer. I got to move on. And there are probably a lot of stressed middle class players out there. Not Chris Bryant, not Carlos Correa, but stressed middle class players that call their agent at 
7 o'clock in one second and said, get me a job. Because they've been sitting around for three plus months. So I come to you uh, on a Friday. I didn't want to wait till Sunday because I think this is more of a reaction show. And I, I'm not a labor expert. And I think the top line, and, and we got to get out of you know how the revenue sharing, some of the, 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 the things, the little goodies in the agreement that are meant to boost competition, how that all works and whatnot. But I, I think I wanted to give you some context and perspective to my reaction to this and and then moving forward. This is a Met show. It connects the Mets, and obviously Steve Cohen is a big part of the conversation of the CBA, no doubt about it. But this is just kind of the final bow on top of what has been uh, a, not a great three-plus months. It was kind of a dark winter in baseball. It was a fun late fall because the winter's not really till December. You know, Thanksgiving till about December 2nd. It was a lot of fun. And we all knew, if you listen to the show, I didn't think anything was going to get going in terms of the game itself until Valentine's Day. But boy, we saw St. Patty's Day. And I never would have thought that. And that's where I'll start. You know, why did this drag out so long? And I'm going to blame the owners for this. There is a contingent of owners that wanted to crush the union. You probably know some of the names. Cincinnati, Detroit, Arizona. Guys like that. And there are more. I think there are a contingent of owners that were willing to tank a season. I really do because I think they thought in the long run from their business perspective. And that was – this is where it's almost like analytics and touch and feel. And, and you can't swing too much to one or the other. You have to have a balance. But I think that they felt that long term that would be good for their business and they could accomplish that. They had their chance in 1995. Look, they tanked the World Series. Uh, they did some things without getting into too deep in the weeds, but basically their shenanigans with the pension fund probably s- screwed them over in terms of really their ability to, to crush the union. And uh, they brought scabs into spring training. Now, really, at that time, uh, it was where the turning point where you saw some real jumps in popularity, the NFL and the NBA, and, and that was a real growth phase, especially for the NBA, but also the NFL. And, and as we've talked about on this program before, you know, between the steroids era and offense and the Yankees dynasty and interleague play, I think there were a lot of things that kind of fell into their lap that pushed the lockout uh, at that time, a strike, pushed the bad karma from the strike and put it in the, the box. And then 9-11 happened, and, and Bud Selig, to his credit, had a tremendous amount of success, although I wasn't always a fan of some of his, and he quite literally is a used car salesman, his techniques and, 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 and how he how he often uh, was duplicitous, especially with the whole situation with Matt off of the Mets. He knew how to bridge gaps and sell. That was his – and he loved the game of baseball. He really did. And Joe said that on the program a couple of weeks ago. And I think if you go back to the two prior commissioners, and I, I'm not going to go all the way back in history, but Bart Giamatti and Faye Vincent – uh, they really cared about the game of baseball. Yes, they knew they worked for the owners, and, and they had to be very astute, and they had to take uh, certain hardline approaches with the MLBPA and the union. That's part of the job. They're not going to hire you, the owners, to be a commissioner if you can't manage a labor negotiation because it's going to come up. It comes up every five years now. But those guys love the game of baseball. When I listened, and I, I purposely put the full three-plus-minute highlight clip of Rob Manfred in his press conference last night, and he said some... Good things. You know, he wants to reach across the aisle, called Tony Clark, sorry for the fans, understands what's going on in the world around us, 
wants to move forward. Hey, the Players Association is strong. It has a, a deep resolve. But if you really listen to Rob Manfred and listen to the clip, don't read it on a news site. He sounded like a guy. And you probably, if, you, if you've done it at work, if you're a manager at work or you've had it done to you and maybe you were upset, he sounded like someone who after a bad review came out of there saying, all right, uh, I didn't get what I wanted. I still don't agree with the review, but I got a job to do. So I got to figure out a way to keep my job and to move forward. So even though I, I don't really believe in all this, I got to say it. And maybe I'm wrong. And, and if I am, email me, contact me, let me know. But he sounded like a guy that ha- knew what he had to say. He sounded, and that's a problem in today's society. You see it all the time in politics. People like think we as the public, we as the consumer, are chess pieces on a board that they could just move around because they went to, they studied political science uh, or management strategies or negotiation strategies at some Ivy League or Harvard or something like that. And that as human beings as consumers, that we're not smart enough to see through it. We are. Most people are. I think most people are misinformed because of the media, and the media did an awful job. I mean, the media did an awful job because they were stenographers for the most part, and a part of that was by design. The MLBPA wasn't really uh, – I don't. I think the, the act the, – first of all, there was a lot of things that had to happen for someone to report accurately. It was almost, this was almost a business job. This was a business job, uh, reporting, business reporting. And they're not qualified to do that. You see it with the way they look at how teams are run. They're not business people, medium. They're not. I mean, I don't care how long they've been in, in, in the game. Some of them are good and understand it more. Most are not. But, you know, basically it was talking points to the owners. It was uh, a lot of gaslighting the fans to get clicks. And uh, there was some, you know, in the Jeff Passon situation, which I'm not even going to get into that. That's a whole other thing where he, you know, basically – uh, it was accused of telling the Players Association not to take the offer, which I, I, I think that was a little misconstrued. But again, uh, the media kind of doesn't give the fans the complete picture. And it's always, you know, oh, they're greedy. They want more and what have you. The owners came across in these negotiations as the group. You have two groups that were just looking to make a quick buck, score a sweet deal that was pretty much in their favor. There was no love of game. Their playoff proposals didn't take into account any of the game's history or the ability of 162 games to vet out pretenders and contenders. And they really didn't want to give the players more than a cursory dime here or there. If anything, and this is what Rob Manfred said, and now this is the most interesting thing out of that clip, and I hope he believes this. Segments of the ownership class are broken, he said. More concerned with protecting their interest and building the game's future. And I understand, hey, I spend X number of dollars every year. I spent X number of dollars to invest in this product. It's expensive, a lot of overhead, specifically on the player's side. And I, I think to a certain degree when Rob Manfred said the returns on selling their team versus what they bought it for, which is a crazy statement considering that how wealthy Fred Wilpon, what did Fred Wilpon invest $10 million in 1980 and walked away with, you know, almost $3 billion selling the Mets. So he made, you know, if you really want to talk about, obviously, you know, it's like a house. You buy it for X, you sell for Y, but you put all these improvements in it throughout the year. So you really didn't make that money. You socked it back in the house, but you made that cash back. You get that cash. But if you, if Steve Cohen sold the Mets tomorrow, 
I mean, right now, his return on investment would not be uh, as much as Fred Wilpon in terms of X. I don't believe anyway. I'm not an expert, but it won't. The guys who are buying in now, it would be interesting to see what their teams are valued in 10, 15, 20 years. We don't know where the dollar is going to go. We don't know where valuation is going to go. I think the golden age of that, the guys who came in in the 70s, or maybe even you know late 80s, early 90s, I'll even go to that. Maybe even 2000. Maybe in the last 20 years, it's skyrocketed. So those guys, that doesn't account for. But I can understand there might be some concern going forward. I'll, I'll give the owners that. But by and large, I did not see any love of game on the ownership side. And that's not everybody. I'm not saying that. I, I think Steve Cohen and the Yankees and, and a good number of teams understood the issues. I mean, you saw there were four teams that voted against it. Cardinals, Astros, Yankees, Mets, to, you know, when they were negotiating. But when they came to the actual vote to ratify, of course they were going to vote. They knew that there was no point. And I have a thought on on why the Mets voted no, and I'll give you that in a minute. But the players wanted their fair share. That's all the players wanted. There's no greed. If the pie, I keep going back. If the pie is X, you deserve a percentage of that X. They and and look, go online. Look at the ML. Go to the MLBPA's website. Look at what the majority of what they got. It was lower tier bumps. It was an extra, what, $60 million in payroll this year with the minimum salary going up. Uh, A bonus pool that will help guys pre-arbitration. The payroll thresholds, which have been bumped up, and then there's the super tax, which I guess the payroll thresholds bumping up helps. There's no guarantee teams other than the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers are going to go above that. That's three teams. So really, you know, that's a good thing. But I think when you see the subcommittee and guys like Scherzer and Lindor, and I think the subcommittee by and large, if I, if I, and I, I'll, I'll get it here, uh, those guys voted 8-0 against it because I think they saw that for, for a large part of, of this deal, the guys at the top, uh, you know, the effect of that, I don't think they believe that club is going to increase. Let's put it that way. I, don't, I think Max Scherzer believes that the guys at the bottom, and good for them, get $200,000 more a year, which is big when you come out of making $10,000 a year in the minor leagues. I think they feel that, you know, guys like Max Scherzer, Marcus Simeon, Francisco Lindor, who made it big, who scored the lottery, that there still is mechanisms in the game that prevent more guys from doing that. Not only getting a $40 million a year contract, but guys getting, you know, three years, $40 million. Things like that, because as you see, the collective bargaining tax, the competitive balance tax, I should say. Sorry, excuse me. Competitive balance tax is really a de facto salary cap. And I don't see anything. I mean, with the whole idea, that was a big thing. Why do teams take? When you have half the league at times, it seems like anyway, not competing. Uh, they're not signing free agents. They're not signing any mid-tier, top-tier, anything like that. When you have that, uh, I don't, you know, it, it's, it's a de facto salary cap. That's what they were fighting for. And is that wrong? Is that greedy? Hey, I put all my blood, sweat, and tears. It's a hard game. It's not us playing slow-pitch softball on a Sunday. I know it's a hell of a lot better than showing up to a job site or going an hour and 15 minutes in traffic to your office. I get it. And making 50000 60000 70000 a year. You know, having to come home and, and make decisions about, you know, I just had to fill my tank for, for 50 bucks, so now I can't go to dinner with my wife or my kids. I understand where your point of view is, but that's the pool that we live in and that's our plight and that's our fight. And those, that's a different fight. 
this union had a, had you know is blessed, uh, and and their predecessors worked really hard to get them to the point where they even have what they have because the, this union has been the goal of the owners for a long time has been to crush this union. That was Bud Selig's goal too. Collusion one, collusion two, collusion three. Bud was at the forefront of it. That's why he was always a phony when it came to you know some of the things he talked about. So I don't want you to be mad at the players. I know I saw some tweets out there like they couldn't believe that I took the players. I think the players look really good in this thing. And you know why the players may not have looked good? Is because the owners leaked through their mouthpieces in the media. Well, you know, with through these arbitrary, arb, you know, these these artificial deadlines that. Well, you know, we gave them a deadline. We came up. We we gave them more. Look at them. They they still they still won't ratify the deal. There was a lot. There was there was things about lawsuits uh, when it came to the pandemic season and revenue sharing that they had to work out. The international draft is very complicated. Go look. Go watch a movie. Uh, Andrew Moscato, a friend of this show, was part of that, and Bobby Valentine, I believe, did some funding on that. Uh, Pelotero. I think Miguel Sano is in there. And you'll see these kids in the Dominican, what they go through from the extreme poverty that they're facing over there. And these, uh, these local agents and some of these guys who work, and there's actually a, a employee of the Pittsburgh Pirates in there that's, that, that they, they nabbed undercover doing or saying some things that really were, were underhanded. Watch it. It's a different story for a different time. And maybe we'll revisit that because as the discussion of the international draft gets heated up because they're still negotiating that through the rest of the spring and summer, I think it's not just about money there. It is about money. It's always about money. When they say it's not about the money, it's always about the money. It's also about the cesspool of what's going on in that market, which, by the way, Sandy Alderson's job before he came to the Mets the first time was to clean up. Just throw that out there. So uh, I, I, I think, you know, there's going to be people mad at Scherzer and Lindor, and, and I could see it now. Lindor, listen, Lindor, that it's out there that Lindor voted no. Scherzer, I don't think cares. I think Scherzer's so accomplished, and, and, and he's got that it factor that I, I don't think, other than health, that's the only thing I'm worried about with him. I don't think New York's going to swallow him up. But Lindor is a guy that sold himself on the market with that big contract as a franchise player. And I think he's a very good player, but I'm not sure he's a leader and I'm not sure he's a franchise player. That's, you know, the top guy on a team and fans are going to remember that he voted no. And if he gets off to a slow start or shows similar penchant to being the Lindor that I was fearful that you were getting, it's going to be a tough season for Lindor. That's another story for another day. I'll keep bringing that up. Uh, that's another story for another day. Uh, but by and large, you know, that's my feeling is that the owners really didn't come out of this uh, looking all that good. And I do agree with Ken Rosenthal at The Athletic that uh, it's, a, it's, it's time for Rob Manford and the owners particularly, whoever these problem children are, they can't be running the executive committee over there. You, your product is the players. That's your product. That's why you could get apps and ticket prices and Apple Plus TV and all this other stuff. People come to see Max Scherzer. They don't come to see the next tier of 1,200 players. I've heard you know fans even say that. Oh, I'll just put the next 1,200 players that really want to play the game. No. And by the way, if you did that at some point, 
that revenue, if it ever, it wouldn't reach where it is now, but it still would be big, right? They're going to want their fair share because the owners are going to do the same thing to those guys. It's all about economies of scale. That's it. You got to look at it that way. So it's time to move forward, but really, and again, I listened to, to Manfred. Does he really believe that the players are his partners? I just feel like Manfred, and, and remember, guys like Giamatti and Faye Vincent, like I said, were baseball fans. Faye Vincent worked in private, uh, you know, corporate America. Giamatti was an academic. Rob Manfred is Harvard-trained lawyer, and, and his specialty was labor negotiations. I don't even know if he ever really liked baseball back in the day. This is a job to him, and that's fine. But you really can't do your job if you really don't like what you're doing. I know people say, ah, oh, no, you know, it's a paycheck, it's a paycheck. At some point, you have to take pride in your industry, in your product. And I don't think he does. And I think there's a lot of owners that maybe got into this for a variety of reasons that really don't. And I know what you're going to say. Well, these players, what do they care? There's, well, think about you. Do you want to work for a company or an industry where you really don't feel the people above you that run it give a rat's you-know-what? about the the product. I mean, that's why, go to any kind of like career website and surveys. People leave other jobs for money. We know that. I've done it. I'm sure people in the audience, you've done it too. But the first line of defense that breaks in a relationship between an employer and employee is usually the treatment of that employee in something unrelated to salary. And that's what you see here in baseball. It's simply that. I mean, think about, and, and I go, look, just read the, the memo from the Players Association. I mean, okay, now you got a draft lottery and you have some pool money for pre-arb players. Um, and there's supposedly an exchange for dropping the lawsuit about misuse of revenue spending because, let's face it, these guys take the revenue money from teams like the Mets and the Yankees and they throw it into their pockets. Who knows what they use it for? Do they even use it to upgrade their stadium? Or they're using it just to, you know, cover expenses, like basic expenses. I'm not talking about players. They don't invest it into the product. So now there's some complicated way to, to grow local market revenue where you get a little bit more or something like that. It sounds like it's complicated. I'm not even going to speculate on what that means. But the players are pushing their business partners, in theory, the people that they work for, to put out a better product through competition, which is what it's all about. There is a lot of owners in this game that really believe it's a picnic. Oh, and there happens to be a baseball game popping up at the stadium. They really do. I don't know about you, but if the Talking Mets podcast put together a Sunday softball game at City Field, and, you know, we opened it up for concessions, and you could come in, and the kids could run the bases after, and... You could go and walk around the stadium and see the, the bridge and, and the apple and blah, blah, blah. Uh, maybe we, maybe you'd get, you know, 400 people, 500 people, maybe. I would hope, well, actually, we have way more subscribers than that. So I hope a lot more, but you get the point. Maybe once you get them to come, like, they're not going to come 81 times a year. All due respect, I love City Field, but if not for the baseball, I'm not going to go. What am I going to go after? What am I going to go do after? I'm going to go toward the, the, the empty space across the street. The junkyards? I'm going to go walk onto the expressway? 
I'm sure there's a, a couple of good uh, bodegas where I could get some good food there on on Roosevelt Avenue, but you know, I don't need to go to a baseball game and spend 250 bucks to do that. I could drive by at 8 o'clock in the morning and get a nice breakfast sandwich somewhere on Roosevelt Avenue at any day of the week. You know, maybe get empanadas somewhere or something. I don't know. So, like, it's about the game. It's about the players. And, I, and look, I've been in meetings with the Mets when they used to bring in the, the, the independent media. And they always used to say, well, you know, when you buy a can of Coke, it, it's going to taste the same. Your expectation is going to taste the same every time you buy it. It's product quality. But when you go to a baseball game, I can't promise you that they're going to win. I get it. I'm not expecting that. What I'm expecting that there's an effort by the people in the organization that run the organization on the, in the front office down to the field that the goal is to win, not to tank to get the number one pick. I don't think any of the, that – None of that was addressed. And I really believe that's why, when you look at this, they got a bigger piece of the pie, the players. They got minimal concessions in competition. I don't think the top tier is going to get any larger because I still think teams are going to shy away from the luxury tax. And uh, and and then, uh, uh, you know, I don't see any mechanism here where front offices, analytically driven front offices, unless their owner changes the mindset, are going to change how they go about their business. I mean, look, great things, service time. You can't, you know, you, you can't shuttle these guys up more than five times a year. I mean, that was ridiculous. I remember I was saying for guys who've been listening, it's unhealthy for a player's performance to shuttle them up and down 52 times a year, up for a day, down, up for three days, down. You can't ask a guy to live like that. Yes, it's their plight. I get it. But like common sense, you would tell me, yes, I could do that. I can abuse my employee like that, and I have a right to do it. But am I getting the best version of that employee? Oh, well, he's here to fill innings. Well, don't you want to see if you got something there? I mean, sometimes there's, you, 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 you got to do what you got to do. There's nothing you, you know, sometimes that happens with doubleheaders. Or whatever, but it was ridiculous. I never saw anything like it. Transaction logs, go to a transaction log from 1988. Go to a transaction log from today. It's obscene. Like three weeks worth of transactions for a t- uh, team today, maybe less, was like the whole year in 1988. Obscene. Now they did things, they were more, that's the other extreme, right? The conservative nature of, of what's going on. You know, keeping players down until September 7th so they could play in the AAA postseason and things like that. But, you know, and, and and I don't want to belabor the whole owner thing because you guys, this is not going to be your typical one-hour show. This is just me coming in and and reacting to what's going on because it's important to. The whole Steve Cohen thing and the fact that Steve Cohen is this pariah is, you know, poetic. It's almost like Murphy's Law with Mets fans. Here you finally get an owner to spend and the league is doing everything in its power to neuter him. And I think maybe they put a dent in him but I don't think they're going to stop him if the if the price is right and if the player is right he wants to win and he said it himself if I'm going to go over the luxury tax I'm going to go way over I'm already over it's either you stay under or you go all in and I don't blame him on that but the owners dislike a guy who's coming in who's one of the top 50 richest men in the country maybe the world right 15 billion Forbes top richest And all he wants to do is build that brand 
and invest in that team and make his customers happy because if his customers are happy, he will make more money. Look, he's not doing it for free, but I also know a guy worth $15 billion coming into an industry where especially a team that was leveraged and, and probably right now is, is going to be bleeding a lot of money. There's no value equation to his spending. You know, the right thing to do if Steve Cohen followed the book was to crash this thing, burn it, build it back up. It'd be far more, in some cases, profitable, less risky, maybe not profitable. And then call you in five years, Mets fans, because I'm going to be the guy that's going to then spend big after we get this farm system right. And he said, no, I'm going to invest in the on the field product, build the brand, bring the fans back, give confidence in a fan base whose confidence meter over the last Two decades has been thrown in the trash. And while that's going, yeah, I'm going to bring people in and invest in marketing and and front office and scouting and player development and analytics. And I'm going to – I'm sure he's charging them with saying, hey, I want to be like L.A. who can bring up guys at the early end of the cost spectrum. And so I don't have to go out there and and, and on on Black Friday sign Eduardo Escobar, Mark Canna, and guys like that. Because I have similar, you know, early, younger players that could do that. So I don't have to spend $10 million a year on Eduardo Escobar. He will if it makes sense. But realistically, we know that sometimes that's not the best investment in players. That's how payrolls get to $300 million like Steve Cohen. And then he could still go out and get his, his toys like Max Scherzer at 40, 43, $45 million a year. Who knows where the salaries will go. So that's the guy they hate. That's the guy who's a problem for the game. I told you the Mets brand has been under attack for a while. A guy cares. And I'll tell you this, and this is listen to me on this because I really believe this. I believe the Mets voted against the proposal. They didn't vote, they voted for ratification, but when the proposal went out, they didn't like it. Because I believe Steve Cohen said if Francisco Lindor and Max Scherzer are against it. I'm going to be against it. I really believe that because he knows he has to partner with his top players. And in a way, this is still a good deal for the owners. They gave up more money. It's still a good deal for the owners. The players still have a long ways to go, and we'll see in five years where that happens. We'll see if the, 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 the temperature goes down. But think about, and I said this to someone in the game last night, and he said that's a really good point. Think about the players who are watching the owners and how they behave. And they know this. They don't need the media to tell them. They, they have their grapevine. They know what owners say what. On these committee calls and these Zoom sessions and these bargaining sessions, everybody talks. There's always a grapevine in every industry. Think about those owners when they want to go into the fray and sign a free agent. And you have a choice. And the money's relatively the same. You think that player's going to want to go play for that team? Think about that. Steve Cohen knew what he was doing. The Yankees did it too. Hal Steinbrenner is not a dope. You know, maybe he's trying to stay under the, t- the tax, but you know, the Yankees still are a team that may not may not have the brand and cachet that they once had at times, but never sleep on them. So that's really my reaction to where we're at with this whole thing. You know, I'm not going to break down the CBA for you. I think the real, really summarize it, owners came out looking bad. Players care about the game. Mets fans should feel great about Steve Cohen, and Steve Cohen is a smart guy. He He's partnering. Think about what I'm saying. He's partnering with his players, his product. This is not a complicated concept. 
This is what you do to, to be successful. This is what managers do these days. This is what you have to do to build relationships with your customers and grow your brand. I mean, this is common sense. Take a economics 101, a business 101 class. Go on the freaking internet and read Wikipedia. I don't need to tell you that. You guys are smart. You don't need to go to Harvard to learn this. Sometimes, you know, I, I got to tell you, baseball is a lot like Washington, D.C. sometimes. And the reason is these are very wealthy guys. They've worked very hard in, in most cases to make that wealth. You know, there's, there's not, I don't think everybody's a Rockefeller in, in, you know, third, fourth, fifth generation who just landed on a pile of money. But I think they don't live in the real world. They don't love their game that they're in for whatever reason. And I think they think you're peasants. And you'll keep coming back for the, for the McDonald's family Sunday, for running the bases, because that jersey means so much to you because your dad took you to those games. Your mom took you to those games. And that's sad. That's sad that they don't like you. And there's more than one. And I don't think it's just the four that are on that list. The Reds, the Tigers, the D-backs, et cetera, et cetera. There's more. But as a Mets show, me covering the Mets, you as Mets fans, as, as individuals who grew up loving this team, you don't have that problem here at City Field. Your owner cares about the product. Yes, he wants to make money off you. Yes, he wants to be more Wall Street at the ballpark and be more corporate and high-end and 1% because that's the world he lives in. But I think there's, a, there's room for everybody, and I think he cares. Not caring for free, but he cares. And that's a hell of a lot better place to be than some of the other fans that are walking out of this 100-day nearly lockout and their owner still doesn't care and still thinks they'll keep coming back. And I told you, I told you guys this once, I've told you twice, I'll tell you again. Forget the gas prices, war, all this stuff going on currently. I could have told you this before. The American public has a lot of expenses and a lot of entertainment options and a lot of things going on in their life. And for you to dedicate three hours to go to the ballpark, forget about turning on the TV, three plus hours really means you're doing eh, a five, six, maybe seven hour day. It's a job. It's your job. It's like you go to work. And if you're going to go to work to get harassed, you're not going to want to go to work at that job anymore. You may have to because you have to pay bills. You don't have to pay a company to have a miserable experience. You'll find something else to do, and that's what will happen. So that's what I got for you. We'll be back with our normally scheduled show on Sunday. We'll see. It's going to be a wild few days. Supermarket sweep, like I told you, and it sounds like the Mets. Look, I'm not going to get too deep into it. Mets need bullpen help. I, I think they need another starter. I really would like to see them get out of the bat. It sounds like they're going to be opportunistic, and with an owner who is wealthy, you can do that and really pay a lot on a one- or two-year deal, overpay maybe. And that's going to be a beautiful thing to see because the Mets could really round out the roster that way. I don't think they're going to get into a big long-term contract situation. Andy Martino reported it. I never really believed it. It was interesting if they did, but I don't think they're going to do the Freddie Freeman six-year deal. They got other things that you know that they that are coming up that probably preclude them from that. We'll see how you know Buck Schuler is on the clock. The, the journey starts, and Billy Epler's already been on the clock since about six thirty-seven o'clock last night. The journey starts, and now it's fun. And I'll leave you with this. 
as a fan base and on this show, because we've done it all together, we've been through it all together, we've been through a lot, and it seems like we talk less about on the field and more about controversy and drama and finances here. And maybe this lockout and the ending of this lockout signifies the end of that. Go all the way back to 2018. You have Mickey Calloway being hired. Then Brody Van Wagenen comes in. And then the whole 2019 craziness. And then Brody fires Mickey Calloway. Then the pandemic. The controversy with Brody and how he went out. The ownership situation. Cohen is the owner. He's not the owner. Now he's the owner again. Oh, he comes in, hires Sandy Alderson. Now you have a GM scandal, second GM scandal, all the other nonsense that's gone on. Fire another manager, hire another manager, hire another GM, lockout. Like it has been a barrage for us. And I think with Buck Showalter and Billy Epler, and we don't know. I'm excited now about the next chapter. I'm excited about putting that stuff away. I'm excited about not talking about workplace environment and social issues and pandemic and goofy rules. I mean, thank God. I mean, I was starting to warm up to the runner on second, but the seven inning doubleheaders, just play baseball. I hope that subcommittee with the bigger bases and the shifts, just leave the game alone. Focus on putting a good competitive team with good athletic players multi-dimensional players and you'll you'll be surprised what the game looks like and I think the Mets are doing to a certain degree that and it's going to be fun to watch I'm not guaranteeing victory I think there's going to be some tough times and I don't believe this roster as it's constituted right now I'm not sure they can win the division I think they can make the playoffs I mean that you know you got two extra wild cards you should be able to sneak into one of those and I think we'll get more into that. You know, it's not really what's today's focus. But we're past the dark times. Now, I'm saying that, and then something could happen tomorrow or right after I post this program. But I think we're past it, and we deserve an era of good feeling and baseball and talking about free agents and trade deadlines and going after a playoff spot or a division or a championship. Not about, oh, the GM got fired because they sent a lewd text and the Mets' workplace environment is culturally toxic and they need to be this and they need to bring in more diversity. That's not what I want to talk about. I don't care. I want the right people in the right job. I don't want to hear about shortened seasons and pandemic rules. And I, by the way, I was wrong. The media's back in the locker room. That should be fun. That'll be a hoot. Funny how things change in just a couple of months. Amazing. All right, that's all I got for you. I want to thank all of you for listening to the reaction show to the end of the MLB lockout. Now it's on to spring training and on to Mets baseball, and the journey begins. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to thank our good friends over at the Fan-Sided Podcasting Network and the good folks over at RisingApple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy your weekend. We'll be back with a show this Sunday. Buckle your seatbelts. Supermarket sweep. Free agency begins. Till then, take care, everybody.
enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.